2: Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports football correspondent, Alex Crook, and. The European football expert, the guru, Kevin Hatchard. Coming up, Liverpool leave it late to edge out Spurs in a clash at Anfield, which was an absolute thriller. It was bonkers, to be honest with you. But there was big controversy as well. Manchester City return to the top of the Premier League with a victory at Fulham. Former four but safe after thrashing hapless Leeds. Plus, four more midweek fixtures from the Premier League to look forward to. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, Crookie. You alright? I'm good. You Feeling comfortable today? Luke? You look. Feel comfortable. You're in 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 the massive-faced basement. I'm there, a
0: little bit like too something. close to you. I'm feeling a little bit claustrophobic. That's because we'll, you we'll take get, up quite we'll a lot of room. That, to be we'll honest. get past <laughs> that.
3: <laughs> Kev, you okay? I'm I'm heartened by this romantic scene I can see in front of me. Delightful stuff. Uh, yes. There's are, always I'm room thrilled. for one more, Kev. Not much room, but well, there is. Uh, it, there's always room for one more. It's a lovely invitation. I'll, I'll take that under advisement, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> thrilled after that Liverpool game. One of the craziest games I've ever commentated on in my life. It was extraordinary.
2: It was brilliant. And we'll get to it in just a second. Um, but um, you were at Old Trafford yesterday uh, for, uh, for a protest. You obviously went just to protest, I take it.
0: Uh, Well, I went to cover the protest for your show. I felt as chief football correspondent, I should be there. And I've got to say, I thought they were really well organized. I was talking to a policeman before the fans arrived and he said, we're actually liaising with the fans. They want to get down the Munich tunnel to the director's box and we're going to facilitate that. I thought that was quite a refreshing approach, really, because there's obviously been a lot At government level about the right to protest but it was it was peaceful but they got their point across and I agree with them you know Sir Jim Ratcliffe is supposed to be a Manchester United fan if you watch this podcast Sir Jim and you are truly a Manchester United fan then you will know that coming into the football club and allowing Joel and Avram Glazer to retain some of their shares is not a very good idea and makes you actually not Really, a Manchester United fan. Interesting, isn't it? Because that's the, really the main sort of
2: thrust of the process, right? It's it's full sale only. It's making sure that the Glazers are out of the club. The Manchester United fans see this as a process to get rid of the Glazers. That wasn't the plan when the Glazers put the club up for sale and had this full review, though.
0: No, well, I think both of us have uh, always been quite sceptical during the process as to whether they intend to sell any of their shares because. um it has been suggested to me that it could just be a massive fishing expedition. Find out how much the football club is worth now. But like if you're maybe thinking about selling your house and you hold on to it in a few years down the line, you hope it goes up in price again. I think the Sir Jim Ratcliffe bid would be appealing to the Glazers because it kind of ticks both boxes. There's six siblings. Joel and Avram want to stay in situ. The other four siblings don't. And I think if Sir Jim Ratcliffe comes in, he's basically going to buy out those four. So let's see what happens. We should know a lot more this week, but the United fans were pretty clear. uh, They want full sale, only I think they would rather the Qataris at this stage. So Jim Radcliffe becomes four Glazers. Yeah, pretty much. It's a good way of looking at it. Okay,
2: uh, let's get to the best of the weekend's uh, action, starting off at Anfield.
1: It would have been some story, just a couple of minutes ago, Richarlison equalising for Tottenham in front of the Tottenham fans. His first Premier League goal for Tottenham, a free kick from Son from the left-hand side. And Richarlison got the slightest of touches on it, headed it into the ground and it looped over Alisson. That was in the 93rd minute, this one in the 95th. Awful, awful. Tottenham defending again, a shocking touch at the back. From a Tottenham defender, and it's laid it straight into the path of Diogo Jota, the substitute, who just slots it into the bottom right-hand corner.
2: Kevin, you commentated the game for TalkSport International. It was absolutely mental this match, and uh, the, the most Spursy thing imaginable <laughs> to <laughs> get themselves level in stoppage time. See Richardson rip off his shirt and bulge his rippling muscles in front of the Tottenham fans. And then give Liverpool a goal (laughs) straight afterwards. It's absolutely crackers,
3: isn't it? It was bonkers. It was wonderful. But what it was, was it was an an illustration of why neither team's going to make top four. Because Liverpool were unbelievably good in that first quarter of an hour. Ripped Tottenham to shreds. But couldn't maintain that intensity. And I know that Jurgen Klopp talked about, well, you know, we didn't. Understand the situation properly at 3-0 up. We didn't we weren't serious enough about it. But actually, I wonder if it's a physical thing as well, because that opening quarter an hour was all about intensity, all about getting in Tottenham's faces, and they just couldn't maintain that. So I think that's why Liverpool have struggled, gave away cheap goals. And then you look at Tottenham, how Oh, just a week after going 5-0 down in 21 minutes at Newcastle. How can you be that abject in the first quarter of an hour? You know what Anfield's like. You know what Liverpool are like. And it was borderline a dereliction of duty. But to give them credit, they did manage to dig in and find a way back into the game. But Harry Kane looked absolutely bemused by the whole thing. And his interview afterwards, I thought, was very telling. Just seems completely baffled by why they keep making such atrocious starts
0: well
2: because the, the, ultimately the truth is is that the players aren't of the requisite quality to challenge for for top honors are they I mean that, that that's the truth of the matter I mean the thing is is when you are Ryan Mason you're trying desperately to make your mark okay so you're trying to sort of reset the PR narrative I don't know if you saw his program notes the other night uh, I was at the uh, Manchester United game and he wrote these sort of almost like love letters to Tottenham Hotspur in his programme notes. I know what it means to represent this shirt. And he's sort of trying to convey this this idea that after the Conte and the Stellini era where no one seemed to give a damn about Tottenham and actually only cared about winning and furthering their own agendas, he was there to reset it and say, no, I really care. Because Stellini seemed to have about as much passion as a corpse, didn't he? I mean, Christ. Um, so, so, so Ryan's obviously trying to do that. And when he speaks, he speaks from the heart, but that's not enough. You know, you need quality, you need organization and they weren't organized. You know, three of them pressing from the front, then no one pressing Fabinho. It doesn't make any sense. It's absolutely crazy. So they need a, they do need a reset. They do need a reorganization, not just in the PR terms, but also in football terms as well.
0: Yeah. I think if you're only there on a short term basis, at the very least, if you're a Tottenham fan, you want to see improvements in performance. I would argue that that has happened. You know, they came back from 2-0 down to get a point against United. They nearly came back from 3 down oh, to get a point oh, against They've conceded five Liverpool. goals yeah. defensively, previous
2: to both of those times. Defensively,
0: there are shambles. But what they didn't do at Anfield yesterday, even at 3-0 down, they didn't wave the white flag like they did at St. James's Parks. That tells me that at least the players are playing for Ryan Mason. Clearly, they weren't for Stellini. I don't think they were for Antonio Conte at the end either. But just on Liverpool, Kev said this is why they won't finish in the top four. I've looked at Liverpool's fixtures because I'm a little bit of a nervous Manchester He's United panicking. fan. <laughs> He's panicking. But they've got five very winnable games, Kev. That would see them on 71 points, I think, come the end of the season, if they win all five. And I think there's every chance they can do that. So United probably still need another seven points just to make sure they keep, keep Liverpool at arm's length. Yeah. I think United will do that.
3: But I think Liverpool have given themselves a chance. They have, but I think it is an illustration of why things haven't quite been right. Liverpool are capable of blowing any team away. We know that. We saw that with Manchester United the other week. Any excuse to mention that? Yeah, we that? don't talk about that. We don't but, no need to bring that up, Ken. But, uh, every need. Um, But I, I do think that lack of intensity, that lack of consistency across the 90 minutes we've seen time and time again. And so, you know, I think it's about building towards next season. Just on the Tottenham side of things, I do want to talk about Romero because... I'm just not convinced at all. <laughs> like we constantly hear how good a defender he is, but this hard man tribute act is just a joke. Like he's always getting booked. The foul for the penalty was exactly. Awful. That been, is not a world class defender. He's been sent off twice and booked about twelve times. <laughs> yeah, that that is not a world class defender. He's won the World Cup. You can't take that away from him. He had a decent track record in Serie A, no question about that. There is a really good defender in there. But until he reigns in these ridiculous instincts, he's not going to be an elite player. And I-, I know people will say, well, he already is. He's won the World Cup. But if he wants to be top, top level, he has to behave effectively. And he seems incapable of doing that. We
2: were watching match of the day last night and we were picking out certain things about Tottenham and rewinding it, looking at the defence. You were, I was trying to stay awake. Yeah, you were. You were you were struggling, weren't you last night? And then there was a chance with Tottenham have an opportunity, and Romero is is diving at the far post. And I just looked at Crook and went, but why is he there? Yeah. Like, the one that hit the why, post. Why is, he yeah. the fur- yeah, why is he the furthest one forward? It that's doesn't exactly what we sense. said in commentary. There's, what was he doing there? There's no, <laughs> there's no tactical plan if that's your outlet. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I know he does like to go on this sort of rampaging run forward every now and again, but that can't happen all the time. They're so lopsided as a defence. that. Obviously, he's going to cause you problems. They're not organised enough for him to do that. I'm sorry, that's not, not the case. Uh, Jürgen Klopp's got a real issue with Paul Tierney. He admitted uh, afterwards that he's not his biggest fan, is what he said.
4: I have to mention, because you don't speak about it, so Paul Tierney gave us in a game, in a season where it would have been, was quite important, he didn't give Harry Kane a red card. And I love Harry Kane. What a player. Today again, my God, he's pretty much unplayable. That day, didn't get a red card. But he found, but Robbo got the red card. So in this game, he drew two-two. You might remember it. And it was not the first time. There are so many things. It's just little ones, and it, I don't. It's, it's just not. Can nobody in the stadium wanted a foul in the situation with mosalat The linesman was completely calm, both hands down, and he whistled. And yeah, of course we are emotional in these moments. It's difficult. It's not. It's not okay. We should not do that. Yes, we are role models. All clear. But we are human beings first and foremost. Before you are wrong or you are a human being and that happens very moment. but I didn't say a bad word to the, to the fourth official not at all and he wouldn't have deserved it anyway because he didn't do anything wrong but I turned around to the fourth official celebrated in that direction and pulled my hamstring probably in that moment so fair enough all good I'm already punished got a yellow card on top of that I think he thought it a dif- I should have got a different punishment but because of the fourth official it was a yellow card that's it we have to ask we have to ask. Mr. Tierney, what's what's in this situation? What's what's going on? Did you think it was a foul up for Moussa?
2: We should talk about Jurgen Klopp, right? Because um, when the fourth goal goes in, he gets right in the face of the fourth official, which was unnecessary and probably deserved greater punishment, didn't it, yeah. Kev?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think I think he let himself down, to be honest, and I think. The stuff about Paul Tierney wasn't great either. I think, you you know, you won't find a bigger fan of Klopp than me, as you guys know. But I do think there are moments where sometimes he lets himself down. And I think on this occasion, if he has a problem with Paul Tierney, that's taking that up with the authorities. I I think we're in a situation at the moment with referees, where it's as important as it ever was, to try and make that profession attractive. That doesn't mean we don't criticise referees. It doesn't mean we don't flag it when they make mistakes, of course. But I think running up to a fourth official and getting in his face after a goal is a terrible, terrible look. Because it does set a bad example. And whether they like it or not, Premier League managers, and certainly guys like Klopp, who are in the top handful of coaches in the world... They set the tone. They set the example. So I love Klopp. You guys know that. But I think, yeah, I think on on Sunday really let himself down.
0: I think he was an embarrassment, Jurgen Klopp. He embarrassed the football club. He embarrassed himself. And this this suggestion that, that Tierney has in some way got it in for Liverpool, I hate that. When when football clubs claim that referees have agendas against them. They may not be very good at times, referees, but I don't believe that any of them are biased against any football club or any manager. I think Jurgen Klopp, when he looks at himself this morning in the mirror, when he looks back at his interviews, I think he'll be quite ashamed.
2: Yeah, I mean, they they, they don't care that much about those football clubs, honestly. It, it, they've got a job to do. They're more worried about what their assessor is going to say about their performance rather than what Jurgen Klopp is going to say about their performance. Um, and he, But Paul Tierney did miss a couple of big decisions, I think. Um, yeah. he, should, he should have sent off Jurgen Klopp for that um, tirade in the front of the uh, tirade the, in confronting the fourth official and pulling his hamstring. I mean, yeah, that's, that's definitely a sending off offence. Um, and uh, Oliver Skip should have been sent off, and Diego Jota should have been sent yeah. off. I mean, the Diego Jota one is is
0: the most blatant red card that I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I think the Skip one as well. And I said it on the uh, on the boot room on Sunday night. I think sometimes it does come down to reputation. You know, certainly in the case of Jota not that type of player that's Casemiro who makes that tackle oh here we go i tell you 100% <laughs> that's a red card it's uh, a red card is it the glazer's fault yeah absolutely
3: look i what was interesting i in commentary i referenced that do you remember the antoine griezmann one against liverpool i think in yeah. the champions league and had the high foot and he absolutely. got sent off i it's jota's not meant to do him he's not trying to kick him in the face but he Not has points. The, point. the him law in the is face. in danger. Uh, You're of in in the, the opponent. Of an opponent. Yeah, hundred percent. And
2: he's got a massive cut on his head. He needs stitches. Yeah. He, of, of course, it's it's a red card. There's, there isn't even any a doubt about it. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand the speculation. I think the Oliver Skip one maybe is a little bit more dubious, but I still think it's a red card. I think. I mean, as
0: soon as I saw it, it was like a red card. I'm sure it's very similar to a tackle that Casemiro was sent off for earlier in the season.
3: Chris Perry. How many times he's been sent Co-com. off though? for this for the oliver skip and i said it looks like an ugly challenge his argument was and i think a lot of players would make this argument once you've made that challenge where can you put your foot so i i i agree i could see why that could have been a red card 100 percent. however i think players are having to try to change how they tackle because if you look at years gone by that kind of challenge would have gone through and we probably wouldn't have even spoken about it. but That's an argument about the law, isn't it? Rather than the application of it. I
2: mean, the truth is, is is under the current law, that is a red card because even though, and there will be someone who's shouting at the screener, but he got the ball. That is not a defense in law. hasn't been a defense in law for 20 years. Yeah. The fact is, is that he goes over after he's touched minuscule touch on the ball. He then goes over and plants his foot on the ankle. Now, you can say, where else can he put his foot? It's quite a few places he could have put his foot, to be
0: honest with you. Well, I was going to say, I think we also both felt that the uh, the challenge on Richarlison was a penalty. So, actually, that's four major decisions. So, that- the
2: Canate one, right? Okay, when he grabs him around the waist and he pulls him down yeah. at the end of the game, I think that's a penalty. And also, if Richarlison doesn't score in the last minute before uh, Spurs give the game away, uh, Darwin Nunez has tried to inflict some randomly mental challenge on him as well, so when they t- the two of them go for the ball from the free kick Darwin Nunes, instead of trying to head the ball goes with his feet, sort of karate style, yeah. and almost takes off Richarlison's head, so even if Richarlison doesn't make contact with the ball and it doesn't go in that's going to be a penalty
3: <laughs> Yeah, well he panicked, didn't he? Because I, I think he realised Richarlison got in behind him, and he's panicking and desperately trying to get back there but it's quite yeah. an unorthodox way of trying to clear the ball, <laughs> nearly cleared his head instead
2: Yes, it was a very strange sort of end to the game. Anyway, look, I think Paul Tierney's performance wasn't brilliant. Wasn't the worst thing in the world, but I think there's a lot of decisions there that probably should have been dealt with and, and actually Liverpool were lucky not to lose um Diego Jota for at least the game. Um Lucas Moura, um look, I think many Spurs fans thought that the red card against Everton was the last time they'd ever actually see him, but that wonderful pass for Diego Jota certainly will live long in his legacy.
3: Still got it. <laughs> i I think he'd prefer
0: his legacy to be that night in amsterdam
3: it's a long time ago now
0: um now i feel sorry for him listen i mean he knows he's not gonna be part of the future we we did the story on talk sport a week or so ago that he'll be leaving at the end of the season Uh, i think with that in mind it's a little bit strange that he's still being used really once you've decided you're moving on from a particular player you you probably don't want to use him in such a high pressure game and Maybe his head's a bit frazzled. Maybe his confidence is a bit low. It was an inexplicable decision. And ultimately, it's cost Tottenham the game.
2: Um, Harry Kane level now with Wayne Rooney on 208 Premier League goals. Uh, But not that that really means much to him this morning as he wakes up and thinks, oh, uh, we've thrown away another three points. Um, Let's move on to uh, Fulham against Manchester City. Manchester City back on top of the table. There's only been three nights uh, in the last 170 that Manchester City have occupied that place. But they're back on top now. And ahead of Arsenal against Chelsea, which is coming up live on TalkSport on Tuesday night, they've laid their marker down. They weren't terrific in this game, but I suppose being back on top of the table sends a message to the rest of the league now, doesn't it? They're taking control, Kev.
3: Yeah, they are. And I think what this game showed, and you're right, they weren't at their best. And I thought Fulham, it's quite interesting, Marco Silva was quite angry, wasn't he, about the idea that his players were on the beach and that they were kind of cruising towards mm. the end of the season. Well, I think they've really it clearly doesn't it. like the beach. Yeah, maybe doesn't. Kind of sand gets everywhere. But I, I think the last few games have shown they're not. I, I think that performance at Everton. That I think a lot of people just assumed I was one of them. That Fulham not that much motivation. Everton would win that game, and Fulham really showed up in that game, and they really showed up here. And, and I think, you know. Manchester City have world-class strikers. We talk about Haaland all the time. Alvarez is wildly good. Wildly good. So intelligent. So technically gifted. The winning goal is outrageous. So there's a kid who's already won the World Cup. And I think he's just going to get better and better and better. And to have those two is a real luxury.
2: So um, we were talking about this last night as well, which was Haaland's getting 50 goals, right? Okay, and everyone's like, wow, this guy is amazing. Alvarez plays about a tenth of the minutes. He's got 15 goals. Yeah. and We were discussing how there's loads of clubs that really need a number nine, a goal-getter, someone to, to put the ball in the back of the net. And Manchester City have gone out and got two <laughs> in one summer. And, and both of them can do amazing things. I mean, that second goal was an absolute peach of a goal. I mean, that's obviously sort of like a big thumbs up to the recruitment team at Manchester City, but also just highlights, I think, the needs in other places, Chelsea, for example, is one of them. I mean, even Tottenham, you know, they've got Harry Kane, but they don't really seem to have another goal scorer where you need that, that alternative. You need someone else who's going to push the other guy, but also step into his
0: shoes if he's not around. Yeah, and, and obviously he's a young player, but he, he he looks happy, doesn't he, at Manchester City? He's happy knowing that he's not going to start week in, week out, but he's happy to be part of this incredible team under an incredible coach, even if it is often as understudy. It'd be a bit of Haaland. an odd guy if he wasn't happy about winning the World Cup and the treble well, in about six months. That's true, that's true. But do you know what? I do think if, if you look at him, he it, it was it a was good player before the World Cup, but I think being part of that Argentinian side mm. has just made him grow in stature, and he feels like he belongs now at the very top level. I think kudos to Manchester City because they're more than capable of blowing teams away as they did against Arsenal in midweek. But if you're going to win a title, particularly when you're trying to balance a very congested fixture list, it's often more about tight games away from home against good sides. And Fulham have proved to be a good side this season getting the job done, grinding it out. And I think they're going to have to do that um, a few occasions between now and the end of the season. And clearly they've got that in their locker.
2: I want to ask you, Kev, if there's anybody on the continent who sort of people are looking at as potential sort of acquisitions for the summer in terms of those number nines, those goal getters, how many of them really are around? Because there isn't a huge amount, is there? I mean, everyone sort of comes up with the same name. Harry Kane may be available and, and Victor Osserman, of Napoli, but apart
3: from that, no one's really talking about anybody else. No, there aren't many. I mean, you look at Gonzalo Ramos. Uh, I think he uh, Benfica. Yeah. He, he he's one that gets talked about a lot. The Austrian one's really interesting because Premier League clubs, are, I'm sure, will be in that race. There's no doubt about that. But there's a really interesting twist here. Bayern needs a number nine. They are prepared to pay the money. And his girlfriend is German and wants to go back to Germany. Now, that that's being widely reported in German media, that that is a driving force behind what he might do. Now, of course, things can change really quickly, but I do think he's not nailed on to go to the Premier League. He'd be perfect for the Premier League, but he's not nailed on to go there. I think there are a lot of clubs interested in him. But don't be surprised if Gonzalo Ramos goes this summer. We know Benfica sell their, no, their family silver. Club, yeah. They're happy to do that. They're, they'll have the next Gonzalo Ramos stowed away somewhere. So yeah. I, I think that's it's a already that on the good boat done. from
2: South America somewhere. Yeah, he's exactly. just saying they'll let him out just as, he, as they sell Ramos.
0: There's it, going to be a domino effect, isn't there? If if Ozzyman does pitch up at Bayern Munich, clearly they're not going to sign Harry Kane as well in the same summer. So that probably opens the door for Manchester United. I did a, I did a piece in the transfer notebook this week that Chelsea under Pochettino would want to be part of that conversation. You're a Chelsea fan. It's Scott Minto happen, shot it? it down. I think the only English club, really, that Harry Kane can join this summer are Manchester United, unless Newcastle do decide to take the shackles off and do something crazy. But suggestions coming out of the North East are that that won't happen. Who's the lad at Salzburg, Kev, as
3: well? That's, um, been Benny club. Well, Benny is yeah. already going to Leipzig. That's nailed on. So that's already yeah. been sorted. How did they do that deal?
2: That's 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 strange, isn't it?
3: Well, it's very unusual. Salzburg and <laughs> yeah, Leipzig don't tend to do clubs. much business together, <laughs> so it's very unusual. In Tottenham, with the continent, aren't they? <laughs> um, it, look, what, uh, One interesting point on Chelsea, by the way, um, Christopher Nkunku uh, made his first mm. start for a long, long time for a couple of months actually, and looked yeah. really sharp uh, at the weekend. Scored the only goal against Hoffenheim. Where did he play? he He played in attack, played uh, played with Werner uh, and I think that's his best position. He could play a lot of different positions, but I genuinely he can play see wide, him. can't he yeah he so he started wide, really as a wide forward and got loads of assists, and then Jesse Marsh was the one for all his sins. he was the one who said no you're you're a center forward, so they started playing him up top, and he got loads of goals, and he's scored goals ever since.
2: OK, well, um, I mean, that deal apparently is done. So um, let's see what happens if he does pitch up at Stamford. Potts will love him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Everyone will love him if he scores goals. I mean, in fact, if he scores one goal, that would be great right now. Um, Fulham should have had a penalty for a, a walker foul on Reid, I think. Um, let's turn to uh, Manchester United. Crooked continuing his one-man protest of never buying a ticket, but still occasionally going uh, to Manchester United. How was it, the experience? You were upset about one particular thing, weren't you?
0: They oh. ran out of pies at halftime. Yeah, oh. they did. Is that because you I mean, ate them all? <laughs> I left myself open to that. No, but I mean that is that is unforgivable, really. You know, I had one at halftime. Yeah, yeah, I, I had to settle for a cheese and onion pie. I got a Manchester United satisfied. pie. The
2: Manchester United pie is the best pie. That's what right? I wanted. Yeah. Okay. So it's got like uh, it's got steak. It's got chili. It's got a bit of gravy in it. It's got a bit of spice. It's nice, isn't it? Right. Well, he I wouldn't wanted one. after yesterday. Well, you do. You've had, had yeah. it before. Yeah. Um, he, he wanted one. He didn't get one. He was very upset. Yeah. When he got back here last night, he was like, I only had a cheese and onion pie. It was not the same. It's <laughs> not the same. It's not the same. It's like a, walkie, club that, a club like Manchester it?
0: United should not should not be running out of pies yeah. at half time. that
2: that That is the biggest story of yeah. the week. Not the protest. Not the fact that, although they dominated the game, they nearly gave it away right at the very end. The fact is they run out of pies. And this is why we want the
3: Glazers out. Yes. Get them out. <laughs>
0: We've got the title for the podcast. But no, listen, the performance was good. I was really impressed. Um, I, I'm starting to fall in love with Sabitzer. I thought he was excellent. Ah, I loved his energy player, at both ends of the pitch. I think it's a no-brainer that United try and make that signing permanent. And I'm, I'm going to doff my cap to Victor Lindelof as well. He's had a lot of uh, criticism, mainly because he ended up playing alongside Harry Maguire more often than not. But Actually, I think him and Shaw have shown in the last two games that, that that's quite a good little partnership there for How me. good is Luke Shaw? He's been absolutely terrific. He covers others as well.
2: He actually covered Lindelof a couple of times on Thursday night, and he did so again yesterday. It was brilliant. Casemiro was yeah. terrific in the game. Bruno played well. Bruno played well. Rashford made some good. Jaden Sancho spoke up for himself and told Bruno to stop moaning, <laughs> which was quite funny. There's a video clip during the rounds now of Jaden Sancho just turning around to Bruno and going, "Stop moaning, yeah, yeah, stop moaning." Is brilliant. Um, and, and actually, they should have had more goals. Yeah. But Aston Villa, talk to me about Aston Villa. And Now, far be it from me to criticise Aston Villa because that gets me in all sorts of trouble. But why would you go to Manchester United and play such a high line, pushed up on the halfway line, when the best thing that Manchester United do is attack in behind? They just kept tossing the ball over the top, over the top, over the top. They were always going to get in. They did several times. In the end, when they scored the goal, it was on a quick turnover. But it was because they
3: weren't set after playing so far up the pitch. Why? Yeah, it's strange. I, I thought the goal was awful, actually. I thought there were so many mistakes in the goal. I, I, th- I think the goalkeeper didn't do well enough. I think they didn't respond quickly enough to the rebound. I thought it was a horrible goal to concede. I, I do give them yeah, credit. He takes
2: the shot early, doesn't he, Rashford? He takes it really early from inside the box. And you think, well, hold, hold on, that's not a great shot, really. No. Why is Martinez not just dropped on the ball, really? Yeah. But he pushes it straight out towards Fernandes. No one goes
3: anywhere near him. And then there's a double deflection and it's in. Yeah, it was a really, really strange goal. I, I was very surprised he didn't just gather that one up. But despite that, I thought they did push towards the end. They had a couple of scrambles, didn't they, in the penalty area? I think, you know, obviously, if they'd have grabbed an equaliser, I'm not sure that would have been entirely fair. I agree with you about can I, Lindelof. Can I just say
2: on that scramble, you know, that one right at the end where yeah. um was in it. behind? And then it just yeah, it goes absolutely mad. It, no, no, that's from the corner that's come subsequently. Yeah. But just before that, there's one where it just goes mad, and there's loads of stuff happening in the in, in the penalty area, pinball style. That's that's irrelevant. Ollie Watkins was offside. Constantine Hatsidakis, who was I was at the I was obviously at the game, I was doing the game for Talk Sport. So I was standing level with that line as the ball goes over the top. Watkins is offside. Hatsudakis the assistant, isn't up with plays about three yards further back, so he doesn't flag, but he's clearly offside. So a whole passage of play happens, and it, on match of the day, it looks like there's a massive chance for Aston Villa. It's all irrelevant
3: because it would have because been straight away as soon outside. as that finishes,
2: the flag goes up. Yeah. So it, all that's gone. That wasn't really a chance, and I think Manchester United knew it, which is why mm. initially they were like, what, "What's going on here?" And it play went on for far too long after that, when it was clear that there was an offside in the build-up to it. Eventually, it was given. and and obviously everything changed as a result of that. But yeah, that the, the one with Conza straight afterwards was a, was a, a, a sort of odd situation where the ball was
3: basically going in and, and he ends up t- turning it away. It was crazy. Yeah. But Lindelof's been great. I, I thought he was fabulous against Forrest because he had Harry Maguire mm. having all kinds of psycho drama next to him and he managed to <laughs> hold the thing together. Um And I thought he played really, really well. And so I think that's something to build on. Zabitz is an interesting one because I think with him, what we're seeing is a very intelligent, very well-rounded footballer because when he started, he was either a winger or an attacking midfielder. Julian Nagelsmann looked at him when he got to Leipzig and went, I think you can be a bit more than this. I think you can play deeper sometimes. I think you can put your foot in. He's embraced that. Um, I know he looks a bit like a musketeer. But he does have that oomph about him. Oh, we said pirate, didn't we, last night? Yeah, pirate's oh, musketeer okay. a good one, though. Yeah, Musketeer's better.
2: No, I think musketeer. I think you're right. All for one and one for all. Exactly.
3: <laughs> He's exactly. definitely That's got the, that the ten about hard him. hard way. The ten hard way. But <laughs> I, I think there's no place for him at Bayern. Comrade Lima's coming in. They've got Goretzka. Yes. Uh, they've got Kimmich. There's no place for him at Bayern in the long term. They're insisting... So how much, Kev? How much? I, I, I don't think that much. I don't think that... Yeah. I, I mean, I would... We worked out about 18 million, something yeah, like that last a, night. around that. I, I would say around which that. Is, maybe which even is if you're less. Manchester
2: United you're trying to build a
3: squad, that's the kind of player you want there and that's good value. He's pretty consistent as well. And he was captain at Leipzig. And, and I think there's an experienced guy there, played a fair bit of European football, understands the demands, knows he's not going to play every game. Uh, and as I say, you know, you look at Bayern. Bayern are being insistent, weirdly, that Gravenberg is not for sale that they see him yeah. as a player in the long term. How? You've got Goretzka and you've got Kimmich. You've got Lima coming And he's in. hardly played this season. Where right? is he going to play? So that's a curious one. But if he is going to stay, there's absolutely no place for Zabitzer in that squad.
2: So let me ask you a question. Um, are you tempted by the
0: draw-on pencil moustache? <laughs> Not overly. Uh, you're obviously tempted by the ponytail. You're, you're trying to go for that, that kind of look. Absolutely. But, <laughs> but yeah, because I think, it looks like Scott McTominay will will move on in the summer. I'm told Newcastle have a really big interest in him. Is Sabitzer an upgrade on McTominay? I like McTominay,
3: but I think Sabitzer is probably a better player. Should we
2: start saying it the way Kev says it? Could you just say it for us again? Sabitzer.
3: So Z and it's an R rather than a hard A. Sabitzer.
2: Which when I was doing the Bayern Munich game recently, the two legs of the Manchester City game, I would sort of spoke to Kev beforehand and Jan and, yeah, and Zoma. Yeah, Jan and Zoma. And Leroy Zane. Yeah and I got through that I was fine Yeah, I, I haven't done the Zabitzer yet maybe that's, that's yeah, the next Zabitza. stage that's going to get me in a whole heap of Twitter trouble that yeah thing, absolutely right. Yeah. he's a Zabit. <laughs> ok <laughs> let's look at the uh, battle to remain in the Premier League uh, Bournemouth have all but secured a place in the top flight next season it's not looking as good for Leeds and Nottingham Forest what did alright <laughs>
0: Hold that please, level five, thank you Ah, you must be one of our new interns
1: Yeah, hi, nice to meet you
0: Hi, now the most important thing to know is to Ertz uh, in the Biparsal Rise plug sale
1: The most important thing is what, sorry?
0: The single most important thing is to Ertz uh, in the Channelized bingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale and you'll be fine
1: Er, uh, yeah, that sounds important Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.
4: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its
3: tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United
2: Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage
0: for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
2: Bournemouth 4, Leeds 1. Well, Bournemouth move on to 39 points, level with Chelsea, probably get more than Chelsea over the next couple of weeks. Crystal Palace have gone above them now, so Bournemouth will be the latest to go above them when the two meet on Saturday. Incredible job done by Gary O'Neill. Look, you've been down there a lot. You've worked there a lot. We know Gary very well from our time in Portsmouth. We know Richard Hughes the sporting director there very well. I think they've had two very good transfer windows.
0: But Gary's done brilliantly with his in-game coaching, right? Yeah, absolutely. I spoke to um, Joe Rothwell after their win at Southampton on Thursday. And I put it to him, you know, should Gary O'Neill be a contender for manager of the season, which is a, a drum that I've been banging for a while. And he agreed. And I said, what's his best attribute? And he said, tactically. You know, he sets us up. He gives us a game plan. And what he's very good at, and I've mentioned this before, is that he can read the way a game is going to go before he even kicks off. So, the players know exactly what to expect from each individual opponent. Take the Southampton game, for example. He knew that Ruben Sellers is far from a coaching genius. So, he knew the six foot seven inch striker wouldn't feature to try and exploit Bournemouth and their defensive frailties. He knew that Southampton would try and play through them, and he set up Bournemouth to counter that. They got the 1 0 win, could have won by more. Clearly, he saw the Lee's deficiencies as well. But I just think he's such a calm head. There's plenty head. of them. Well, there is. But he's such a <laughs> calm head, and he's just got the players. Really believing in him. And as you mentioned, I think supplemented, particularly by the, what they did in January. I'm a big fan of Dongo watara I know Kev is as well. I think he's going to be a player. real gem for Bournemouth. The goalkeeper Neto, who I didn't know too much about when they signed him in the summer. He's very experienced. Well, he's though. become a cap, the, the captain. Yeah. Um, and he's a real leader. So, yeah, I think it's just about been the perfect project for Bournemouth, which is amazing considering that They started the season with one owner. They weren't necessarily convinced the takeover would would go through in time for the window. It did. They started with Scott Parker, slagging off his own players. To come together and get that kind of unity, I think Gary O'Neill deserves a huge lot of praise. And the
2: great thing is is that Bill Foley, when he takes over the football club, the guy who's in charge of the Las Vegas ice hockey team, he comes in, he buys the club, he turns around to everybody, he says, don't worry, we're not going to go down. And everyone goes, oh, don't say that.
0: Don't say (laughs) that. But he was right. And do you know what he also he said? Right. Do you know what he also said? And I met him before the takeover had actually been formally ratified. And I said, what are you going to do on the football side? And um, the, the, the top guys there, Richard Hughes and Neil Blake, the chief executive, were in the meeting. And he said, I'm not going to get involved in the football side. I don't know anything about football. I'm leaving it to these guys. That's what you need. I bet Chelsea fans, Tom Bowley <laughs> yeah. took the same approach, <laughs> by the way.
3: Yeah, but it's about targeted <laughs> signings, isn't it? Watara well, is a great example. He was a risk. I knew he was fun because I'd seen him play for Lorient, yeah. seen him get goals, seen him get assists, but you never quite know if they're going to hit the ground but He'd running. only just broken through, right? Yeah, this L'Oreal. was his breakout season at Lorient. And it, there's just no fear about him at all. Like, he steps into Premier League games straight away. He's affecting the game, trying to make things happen. And when they play on the counter, as they often do, which is where West Ham did them the other day, by the way, because they just sat deep and went, go on then, see if you can counter. Ah, you can't. So, but he's brilliant. On the counter, he's absolutely brilliant. Gary O'Neill, who I've worked with, I like very much. Um, I I still don't think it's best practice in terms of giving uh, the guy the, the keys to the whole thing. But it's worked. And I'm pleased for him. I'm pleased for them. But in general, when clubs do that, I'm not a massive fan of it. But I'm glad it's worked for him him and them.
2: Yeah, uh, I agree with that. Um, On the flip side of that, in terms of people making wrong decisions, Leeds United, who make a lot of wrong decisions. I mean... I mean, we've had so many phone calls to the 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 show yesterday, the Sunday session after um, the defeat, and I mean, the Leeds fans are just at a loss. They don't know what to do. I mean, you saw the Twitter exchange with Andrea Andrea Radrizzani talking to yeah. some fan, basically saying that he he's lost. I don't understand why Leeds fans are putting up with this, and then used a swear word. Um, so he's at a loss. He's completely done. He he says he he's on the floor. He he doesn't know what to do next. Um, a lot of reports that Grazia could be sacked. Victor Orta and Angus Kinnear were in the dugout long after the full-time whistle, having serious conversations. But I mean, would you trust? Would you trust Victor Orta to make another decision on a manager? No. I mean, you wouldn't, would you? I mean, I mean, first of all, how has Javi Grazia got the job? The last job that he had was in the Qatari Stars League. Okay. Now I know that he did all right with with Watford, but come on, you know this is the Premier League, lads. You know you've got to have a more of a plan in place. And they didn't have a plan in place when they sat Jesse Marsh because they didn't, they didn't go looking for Javi Grazia, trust me. Um, but talking to Leeds fans now, they would have just rather have gone down with Marcelo Bielsa in charge because they, they, would have had, they would have had more fun, would have enjoyed watching the games and actually thought they had a plan. And they may even had what's called a midfield because Mark Rocker and Weston McKenney certainly aren't that. No, they didn't have
3: a midfield what, under Bielsa. <laughs> <So> it's <laughs> not against the top clubs you know- anyway.
0: And do you know what? This is part of the problem that, that I've got with Leeds fans, and I've said it on air. I've been hammered for it. Let it go. You know, you, you, you're. it's like you come out of a marriage and you're still in love with the ex-wife. Bielsa's gone. Bielsa would have taken them down last season. I'm convinced about that. Right. I don't understand why he's, he's but they, still...
2: But they, they, probably rather than that than this complete drama of, like, constantly changing managers and well, they, should Jesse down. Yes, they should get they, they should They should have held their
0: nerve. And they, kept Jesse They Marsh.
2: definitely should have done that because they recruited for Jesse Mars, And then bin him Otherwise, four they days after have... the window shut.
1: Ridiculous.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Ridiculous. So, so, so so, why on earth would you do that, right? So don't re- either don't recruit for the guy, change the guy yeah. before the transfer window and recruit for the new guy, or once you've recruited for him, at least keep him and give him the opportunity to work with the players that he
0: asked for. It's muddled thinking. You know, the recruitment, as you say, has not been great. I actually spoke to another Premier League club who linked with Western McKenney um, in the summer, and they said, We're not going to touch him. We don't think he's good enough. Uh, maybe Leeds should have heeded that advice as well. But you look at Javi Grazia. I mean, you, you, you mentioned earlier about Stellini looking like he'd just come out of the morgue. Oh.
2: Well, it, I texted you after the interview oh, you played out yesterday, didn't I? I said, what the hell is that? It, it wouldn't you know. give
0: me any faith if I was a Leeds fan. He, he whispered his way oh, th- through so that, that as interview. As inspirational as a jellyfish. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a mess. And you look at their run of fixtures. Oh, and, so- yeah. But the, the, the interesting yeah. thing about
3: Gracia was, if you look at his career, the whole thing is supposed to be he's a solid guy who sets up a team in a solid way. They've lost 5-1 to Palace. That should be instant relegation. They lost six <laughs> one to Liverpool, and they had this debacle. Poor old Melier four
2: one at Bournemouth.
3: M- Melier's brain has gone, and I feel really well, listen, sorry you, what for him. What do you do for him? What What do you do with him? You Kev? take because him he's out. A good
2: goalkeeper. You take him he's out. A good, for him.
3: young, talented yeah. player, but he needs protection. The too. fella's been in a shooting gallery since the start of last season, and and you cannot have a situation where a young guy who's mega talented. I do believe that. I think he's mega talented. But the way he now approaches things like crosses is indicative of a goalkeeper that's totally lost his confidence. And again, this comes back to just a lack of clear thinking. And I think it starts at the top. You've got the San Francisco 49ers investment arm. They have their say. Orta has his say. Rajat Zani probably has his his Mm. say. And you've got all these competing ideas, competing interests. The search for a manager after um, Marsh went was a joke. They were linked with Schroeder, which would have been an awful decision. The fans went they got mental They got this.
0: and they He was put... in the stands. Yeah, Wasn't in he? the stands. <laughs>
3: and then they went, oh, no, we're not interested in him. No, 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 we're definitely not interested in him. What, he just rocked up at a Leeds game, did he? Just randomly. It's a joke. Yeah. And I do feel sorry for the fans that waited a long time to get back in the Premier League. And I think they're going to get dragged back down by just nonsensical thinking at the top. I'd be
2: surprised now. And I think it's really... And not, By the way, this is a team not in the relegation zone as we speak, right? Mm. I'd be really surprised. I'd be shocked if they don't go down.
0: If if they stay up, it will be because other teams fall short. I'm not sure that Leeds are capable of saving but what themselves. what you've got to
2: remember is, is a few of them have got to play each other, right? Yeah. So Leicester play Everton tonight. So they can't, they can't to both game. lose, although
0: they'll probably give it their best shot. <laughs>
2: So, so people will put points on the board. I'm telling you, it, they are in They are in a really difficult situation. In fact, they may be in more of a difficult situation than Nottingham Forest, bearing in mind the fixtures that are, are coming up. Um, Leeds also breaking their record, their own record for the most goals <laughs> conceded in a calendar month. So congratulations uh, for that. Uh, Newcastle 3, Southampton 1. I mean, we, we'll only touch on this very quickly because um, Southampton are just, Rubbish, they really are. Um, and they're finished, they're down. Um, they they went one nil up and still lost three. I mean, Newcastle didn't start playing to the second half, really. And they bought that, uh, they, they did that thing where they bring on Izak to play, uh, Wilson to play on with Izak and it just changed the game completely. Yeah. I mean, they could have scored three
3: or four, then another goal disallowed. How great is it to see Wilson scoring goals and being fit, by the way? I love it. Any yes, player that's really goals struggled in the month with injury April, right? I love, I love players coming back after injury. And just excelling. It's great because I'm always so sorry for I them when they can't play and they've had really bad struggles with injury. It's great. Really great.
2: I also quite like the fact that he's a little bit, and you can see it when he's talking, a little bit narged that he's not starting every week because he's sort of like, yeah, I've got good. to come on and
0: prove. And yeah, good.
2: Yeah, that's that's, what, you that's want. what Eddie Howe wants, yeah. right?
0: He's got that fire in his belly, Callum. Listen, I've tracked his career for a long time when Bournemouth first signed him from Coventry and he scored all those goals to get them in the Premier League. He scored a lot of goals to keep them there. Obviously, people have, have questioned the injury record, but I think his his goals per minute record for Newcastle must be right up there. I think he's a real talent and he, he's just old school. He just sniffs out chances. He's a constant nuisance for defenders because he's always on the move and he just knows where the back of the net is.
2: Yeah, we were, we were rewinding and replaying his goals last night, and we were saying, you know,
0: he he sniffs
2: out the chances. He senses when there's going to be an opportunity, and he just gets in there at the right time. And that's a that's a, that's a skill that not many have got, actually. And when you're looking desperately for a number nine who can score goals, someone who gets eight goals in a month, huh, that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah. Uh, Brentford 2, Nottingham Forest 1. It's my birthday this week, right? Okay. I had a bit of a party, which is why Krug is here. Um, and um, The party finished on Saturday. I'm yeah. still here on he's Monday. Still, <laughs> he's still here. <laughs> he won't go home. It was like that hotel room that we had last week in Wembley when he just turned up and then just decided to stay in the same room as me. <laughs> he won't leave. Um, <laughs> anyway, so um, we had the, the old soccer Saturday on. Right? Okay. And um, it was uh, in the background. And I was like saying to one of the guys, look, just keep me abreast of the Nottingham Forest School. Nottingham Forest, go ahead early. I'm getting excited. I told Crook they're definitely going to win this game. It's okay, don't panic. They get to the 81st minute, and
0: then what happens? The same thing that happens every time they play away from home.
3: Two bad <laughs> the goals. The thing is, right? right? The thing Too is, really bad is, goals.
0: The
2: goals are so bad. Kalon Navas has had two absolute meltdowns, and you're like,
3: come on. Yeah, but the wall breaks. I, I agree with you about Navas, but the wall just breaks in front of him. Is it Cuyate just wanders off somewhere to leave a massive gap in the wall? And it looks bad because he gets across and gets a hand to it. But I think the wall's to blame for the first one. And the second one's a mess. A mess. You shouldn't allow the shot. You should keep it out. It's a it's shambles. And they could talk about VAR and a player being in the eye line and all that, all they want. It's a really bad goal yeah. to concede.
2: And also, and- they've been very unlucky with injuries. Nico Williams has now broken his jaw. Yeah. Uh, Scott McKenney's not there. Chris Wood's not there. When you've
0: got 68 players, you can't blame injuries if you end up getting relegated, <laughs> by the way.
2: Ian Coney, Henderson, all out for the season. Omar Richards, all out
3: for the season. They're down oh to the last I mean, 25, lot- down to the bare bones. Yeah, they're down. <laughs>
2: Yeah, they're, down, they're down to the bare, they're not down to the bare bones. Um, Southampton at home next week for them, though. They're going to win that one. Got it. Well, you'd have thought so. <laughs> if, but if Ruben they
0: Salas has a nice re- coat,
3: so who knows?
0: <laughs> yeah, and a nice roll neck. Yeah, and a nice coaching book. Um, yeah, I mean they have to win that one. If they don't, they can start planning for a trip to Plymouth. But I mean. You were trying to make a case for Forrest staying up last night. You've been trying to make that case for a few weeks. I've made the case. And you think they're going to play teams at a good time, teams when they are on the beach, and they're going to start winning games. Yeah. I just don't know what evidence we've seen from Forrest over the course of the season to
3: suggest that. There's a pot of straws and I'm clutching at them. (laughs) (laughs) They've got to win the Southampton game. It's that simple, isn't it? They've got to win that game. Leeds and Nottingham Forest both won't go, right? So it's going to be one of the two,
2: and I'm going for Leeds. because I think Leeds, Everton and Southampton go.
3: Kev, what's your three? Oh, yeah, that's a really interesting one. Leeds, definitely. Obviously, Southampton. Oh, I've I've backed Forest to stay up all season, so I've got to stick with them, haven't I? I I just I'm very loath to go against Sean Dye, to be honest, in any situation. No, do you do like as much that.
2: stick about London Forest as you do me. But uh, I didn't. Mean, I did come up with a shout in September, to be fair.
0: Let Let's go. And it's you, because your Everton mates were Steve there. Cooper. Yeah, I think I think Kev's got more scientific reason. You no, no. you just like the manager. Tactic,
2: ta- tactically, I think they're very 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 well well
0: drilled. Nice. As as the points suggest. Yeah, as Everton it. goes as down. It. There you as go. It.
3: Everton leads and uh, but I think that's hard overhead me. with Forest. But yeah, Everton <laughs> leads Who's and your Southampton. Three? Just on Southampton, Forest, really Forest quickly, to Southampton. That's the flip side of the Gary O'Neill thing, right? The Gary O'Neill thing is when it works. When you go, here's an existing guy who we like, He's shown he's a good coach, let's give him the go. Sellis is just a guy who was there. It's just, uh, and he's shown no real evidence that he should ever have had that job. And considering the guys at the top of Southampton are supposed to be data-led and really smart, wow, they need different data.
2: Well, there was a video doing the rounds on uh, Twitter on uh, Saturday night, which uh, was uh, from a very aggressive Southampton fan. It was quite clear that the Southampton fans are not behind the current ownership <laughs> right now. They said, in one year, you've managed to ruin our club. We've yeah. sure had three different managers yeah. <laughs> and they've all been rubbish. Um, can I just say about Ruben Sellers? I think personality goes a long way. I think if, as a football manager, I really believe that, or any leader, personality goes a, a very long way. And we mentioned it about Grandpa. You can be quiet and you can be can be calm, you can be composed, but you've got to have some sort of authority and personality to draw people in and to drag them with you. And I just don't think he's got I don't think he's got that. I mean I've spoken to him a few times. I think he looks he looks a little bit like a and maybe I'm wrong here and, and I'm and, and I'm just I'm I'm honestly just looking at the book cover without going into detail. But I think maybe he's a geek who's great on a laptop. Brilliant at analysing games. Really interested in football, and got himself a job doing that sort of thing, and has worked his way through that way, and doesn't really have that sort of that connection with people that I think you need if you're going to be a manager. But he hasn't been I, maybe a head I'm coach wrong there, but that's the way it it's comes.
3: insane. I know he's, he's been never. an analyst, he's been an assistant. If he'd gone away and worked at Rio Ave as like a manager, and he'd worked at you know leafering or whatever, and he'd done some managerial stuff. Okay, you could you just about, about understand that. But it was just a dude who was there. And it, it, that is mm-hmm. is really an insult to fans, quite frankly. I yeah. think some of the decisions Lash, clubs made It's the are Premier making, League. Yeah, it's an insult to fans. And I think Hasenhutl, for all his faults, and he does have faults, we know that, he can be abrasive, he can lose the plot with players sometimes. We know all that. And that's stuff he's probably got to work on in the long term. But there's no way, if he was still the manager, they'd be in this position. No way.
0: No, I agree. They they wouldn't be cut adrift. It was interesting. I had an epiphany when I woke up on Monday morning. I remember when they were relegated in 2005. Rupert Lowe wasn't a particularly popular owner, but he took quite an unprecedented step. He invited us in the media 24 hours after relegation. We were summoned to St. Mary's to the boardroom. And he basically sunk for his supper. He tried to explain how Southampton had allowed themselves to be relegated and what they would do to repair it. Now, again, if Rasmus Ankerson has anything about him, because this is on him, he's the one who's made the key decisions. He's had two shocking transfer windows, which, as Kev said, when you're data-driven, doesn't say much for the data. He's made poor decisions in terms of recruiting managers. When the inevitable happens and Southampton go down, he needs to face the media. He needs to answer and tell these fans yeah. how he has managed in a year to undo all the good work from the past decade. 11 years Southampton have been in the Premier League. Nigel Atkins was there actually on Thursday night trying to rabble-rouse the supporters. And I wonder what he's made of all this as the man who took Saints back into the Premier League. Pochettino, Kuman uh, even whispering Claude Puel built on that legacy. And that legacy has been destroyed in the space of a year by shambolic decision-makings from the top.
2: Talking of uninspiring characters, Claude Puel. I'll
0: tell you what, they give their right arm for Claude Puel now, Southampton yeah. fans. uh, oh oh,
2: Southampton, Nottingham Forest, what a massive game that is going to be uh, next week. Okay, let's take a quick look at the rest of uh, Saturday, starting with the game at the Amex Stadium. <laughs> Brighton 6, Wolverhampton Wanderers nil. Five changes to the starting 11 for Brighton and it results in a 6-0 victory. The quality of the goals was incredible. Undav's chip, Gross's volley. We were like oh, salivating
3: over those goals, weren't we? Amazing. I mean, Roberto Zerbi called it the best performance of his whole career as a coach. Mm. And I think what it proves is that it's about the system of play, the style of play... Obviously, individuals are important. Obviously, if you don't have Matoma, that's important. Obviously, if you don't have you know, Ferguson, that's going to become increasingly important. He's a brilliant player. But the, the style of play and the system is set. And they look so cohesive, so at peace with what they're doing. Welbeck, I think, is a brilliant player. Undav has taken a while to get going. I wondered if he was up to this, to be honest. And that's... That he played very, very well. He's got to keep doing that to prove he's a Premier League player. Yeah, I he's he scored
2: was... 26 goals in Belgium last year yeah. for Union saint but uh, he hasn't uh, really made an impact at, um, at uh, Brighton yet. But Danny Welbeck, I thought his two goals were great as well.
0: Well, probably key timing for both of those players because Brighton have got a deal wrapped up for João Pedro from Watford club record What's £30 million. Pounds. My understanding is that that is done and dusted and, and he'll be a Brighton player as soon as the transfer window opens. So You've got Ferguson, you've got Jao Pedro now, you've got Welbeck. So Undav probably is fourth choice. So and CISO. And CISO as well. So he needed to step up to the party. But what Brighton are doing is they're trying to get their business done early. I know they're really keen on young Alex Scott at Bristol City as well. And I think James Milner from Liverpool to Brighton is going to happen. Adam Lallana clearly has played a role in that. But Deserby wants that experience, wants that type of character in the dressing room. I think from a Brighton perspective, the fact that Deserby has handpicked Jao Pedro, the fact he wants James Milner, I think that could give Brighton fans confidence that despite the fact bigger clubs are looking at their manager, he will be there at least until the end of next season.
2: Well, hold on. I think it's worth pointing out as well. You have talked about the volume of players, especially in the forward battalion. We talked just moments ago about the fact that people need goal-getters they're going to be playing European football in, in all likelihood mm. next they year. So they're going to need to rotate a lot more and they're going to have to build a bigger squad because otherwise it's going to be very difficult for them to compete on on two fronts. They've got Manchester United at home on Thursday. That's a big game mm. for them in terms of their quest for Europe. It's live on Talk
3: Sport. Um, will they be trying to seek revenge for the FA Cup defeat on penalties, Kev? Yeah, there'll be an element of that. But I think also there'll be a confidence that they were probably the better team uh, in that semi-final. And so I think they'll they'll take a lot of heart from that and just on that joao pedro um signing i've seen him a few times live for watford every time he's been the best player on the pitch by such a distance like not just in the watford side well. but the opposition as well you know sometimes you see a player and think oh he's way above this level <laughs> that that he's playing at and and i think he'll be brilliant for them but yeah this is an enormous game uh, and i think as i say that that confidence in the system, the confidence in the way they play, the fact that they've got lots of players fit and firing at the same time, I think is huge for them. And I wouldn't be surprised if they win the game.
2: Yeah, um interesting to see what happened to Wolves though, because it was almost a little bit like, and whisper it quietly, um the Marco Silva, they were on the beach thing. They got themselves into a position where they know they're probably safe now and then went to Brighton the beach and uh and and literally got whacked I mean they didn't turn up in the match did they they were just a little bit off off colour and you could see Julian Lepetigi was like oh my god what is happening here uh, and he's not a man to suffer fools no
0: no it's a big summer for Wolves uh, because uh, Martino is coming to the end Adama Traore is out of contract I think they expect Ruben Neves to be sold Raul Jimenez probably We'll leave the football club a bit of a fan's favourite. So I think he's got a lot of work to do, Lopetegui, this summer. And, and maybe that 6-0 defeat will just focus some minds in the boardroom that despite the fact, because they made a really good managerial appointment, they're staying up, they're still far from the finished article. Yeah, but that's OK,
2: I think, because I think it gives him the opportunity to reshape the squad in his own image, really. It gives him a, an opportunity to sort of you know make walls his own. I think that he'll do that in the summer. Uh, Palace 4, West Ham 3, another mental game. <laughs> And Crystal Palace, who who didn't score a goal for about seven years, have now scored about uh, ten years worth in in the in the games that Roy Hodgson has been in
3: charge of. Um, what will they do without him next season, Kev? Well, I, think, I mean, it's so bizarre because we I th- I think we were positive about the appointment in terms of Palace staying up, but we questioned the long term strategy, and I still do. Yes. Um, but I think we were all of a mind that this is going to work, that it'll, it'll do enough to keep them up. What we didn't expect... We all just went, oh, they'll be safe now. Yeah, exactly. What we didn't expect was 1970s Brazil to turn up
2: for, no. for the next few <laughs> weeks. We did.
3: we certainly didn't. Really, no. I, I mean, the way Ezra's played is, is amazing. And that just shows if you've got a manager that 100% believes in you, sticks his arm around you, puts you in positions where you can affect the game, that can make a massive difference. And the irony is this was supposed to be where Patrick Vieira's Palace were at this point in his second season. But what happened was he got stuck and he thought, oh, we're giving away a few too many goals here. I'm going to rein it back. I'm going to put the restrictions on. And they got stuck. And so it needed Roy Hodgson, one of the great attacking coaches of our time, to come in and release them. (laughs) I did think West Ham were terrible. I, cannot I was going to say there was, West, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was a little bit
2: of West. Yeah, there is a little bit of West
3: Ham being really bad
2: in this, and I think especially like a couple of the goals defensively. I mean, the gift was 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 ludicrous, wasn't it?
3: But they were so good against yeah. Bournemouth. So weird, it's like they were
2: yeah, amazing against Bournemouth. That's where West Ham are. They they, they play well for one game and then port really bad for another. Yeah. They they're yeah. about you know they're very inconsistent.
0: Yeah, and it, and it probably proves the point that the best. Thing they can do at the end of the season is thank David Moyes, maybe with the European trophy, and then move on to uh, a new manager and go in a different direction. They're going to be okay, West Ham, in terms of the Premier League. But it's it's been a it's been a disappointing season domestically for them.
2: Okay, uh, let's move on. Two more games to get uh, stuck into this uh, time around. There's two more games to play this round of the of the, uh, the, the Premier League match weeks, and that includes Arsenal against Chelsea and Leicester against Everton. Game time. Huge game at the um, bottom of the table, and this is tonight live on Talk Sport. And a win lifts either out of the drop zone, a draw, and they both stay there. Um, Vardy changed the game last time he played when he came off the bench against Leeds United. Does he start because nacho is not fit?
0: Yeah, probably. Although I think when he started a couple of games before that, it was clear that age caught up with him. But
2: it's fifteen starts without a goal. Yeah,
0: so it's a difficult one <laughs> in terms of. Picking a winner, and I think this is going to have a massive bearing on the relegation fight. I think Leicester at home can be expected to get the job done. I thought they played well enough at Leeds actually to win that game. Um, they've had that bounce since Dean Smith came in, and I mentioned it on last week's podcast what worries me about Everton is they are conceding lots and lots of goals, and that isn't usually the Sean Deitch way. I'd imagine the atmosphere will be decent. Under the lights on a Monday night, I know you hate that phrase, but it does play a part at this stage in the season. So, I think Leicester can just nick this.
2: Why? Why does electricity and illumination
0: play a part? A, no, I a think it does feel about a night game. I think it yeah. does.
3: I I, I did Bournemouth against Dortmund on Friday, and it just adds a bit. I don't know if it's people have got more time to drink, maybe in the <laughs> ahead of the evening, but it does. There's 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 definitely a different buzz, a different atmosphere, I, I think. It's not it's only a couple of percentage points, but I think it is a tangible thing. I, I think with Everton... It doesn't Everton, make any difference to the actual game, though, does it? It does. It
0: doesn't. It does, because it, it pumps the players yeah, up. The more the does. crowd are invested. I think Crystal, it does. I was,
2: Crystal Palace, West Ham, finished 4-3 on Saturday lunchtime at 12.30. <laughs> yeah, but if that is under the lights, it would have been 7-5. Okay. Seven, seven,
0: <laughs> so what you took, you took offence <laughs> with me using that phrase, because you said, oh, it's a cliche, it doesn't matter. It is a cliche. And it was Everton against Spurs. On a Monday night, yeah.
3: What happened in that game? There was a bit of a, a bit of a push from the fans. I don't know. I I just maybe it's the romantic in me. I don't know. I always think it adds a but little the, bit. I was the think...
0: fans get behind them anyway. Yeah, but the, the, under the lights, it makes a difference. I went
3: to Old Trafford yesterday. I was walking up to the ground, and actually, you when know, I was walking
2: out of the ground, um, I was sitting there looking around. and I was thinking, you know what? What a great kickoff time! Two o'clock on a Sunday is because you get there. The atmosphere was brilliant. Everyone was. That was it. it? I thought
0: it was a little bit flat. Did
2: you? Yeah. I thought the I thought the protests were. Like, Protest, yeah, like, uh, but uh, once yeah, the game, game actually started. is that because you turned by. up, Crookie?
3: Is wow. that just fancy? You yeah. turned <laughs> yeah. up. Go... Shut up! <laughs> you no, know,
2: I
0: thought it was
3: quite good in there. I'll <laughs> well, try
0: and get the chance going
2: after uh, after the game. We went. I, I, I was walking back through um, uh, through stretford and and there was a there was loads of people in the pubs in the you know having a good drink mm. and fun or whatever. Just thought, what a great afternoon kickoff time that is. Two o'clock on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. Um, I don't think lights have got anything to do with it. Anyway, the lights will be on on Monday night. We are. Uh, Leicester against Everton. Uh, Everton away form is absolutely wretched. And actually, how are Leicester in this situation? They score so
3: many goals, Kevin. Yeah. They score so
2: many goals. Can't defend. They should never the be here.
3: Can't defend. <laughs> I, I, and they, they don't get the right balance between attack and defence. That game against Leeds, I commentated on that. It's a really weird game because Leeds could easily have won it and could easily have lost it. Uh, and I think we yeah. saw the kind of the holes in both teams. Uh, I still think that back Definitely. line's wrong. wrong. Um, but I, I do think because Madison is playing so well, and I think he's really upped his game. And I think because he's knitting everything together, Tielemann's actually played really well. And I think he's been off it, but I think he played really well. Um, so I, I do think Leicester should be seen as the firm favourites here given just, how Everton apply. Just so
2: everyone knows, when we were doing our threes to go down, no one mentioned Leicester City, but they are currently in a yep. relegation zone. Um, I think probably in terms of more chance of dropping
0: I would go Everton would you go the same out of the two of them yeah absolutely because again their run of fixtures is, is not great until they get to the last couple of games of the season and apart from that Arsenal win I just don't really see that they made significant improvement talking of Arsenal they play Chelsea on Tuesday night live on TalkSport
2: Arsenal four games without a win perfect opponents for them The, uh, the, the statistically the worst team in the entire world,
3: Kevin. yes, yes. <laughs> Frank Lampard's Chelsea. Uh, what, a, what a massive, uh, what a massive on, boost Frank. that's been. Look, I, I, I mean, we won't go over old ground again. I know we say this all the time, but you shouldn't have got rid of Potter. It was really stupid. But anyway, apart from all of that, um, this is psychologically massive for Arsenal because. They've been caught. Chelsea
2: are going to beat them. You know that Chelsea are going to beat yeah, them.
3: Well, yeah. Well, this is this is big. Really, really big for it's them. Going to happen. Because they've seen City go past them. How do they respond? You know, how they're still in this title race. For all the talk of City on the run, they're on. They are still mathematically. They've only just been passed. They are mathematically in this title race. So this they're is They're not, enormous. but we know. We know. We know what you're saying. Yeah. This is enormous yeah, it's, it's, for it's, them. It's, I think. No and Chelsea are awkward because. There's kind of no pressure now because the season's completely and utterly dead. Um, so they'll just kind of... The only hope they've got thing. is to kill off Arsenal's title chances, which
2: we've seen before they kind of like trying to do. Yeah. So if you remember going back to the Battle of the Bridge when they beat uh, Tottenham, or they, no, they drew 2-2 with Tottenham, were 2-0 down against Tottenham and drew 2-2 and killed off their bid in 2016 to win uh, the title. They kind of enjoyed that. They'd been rubbish all season. They finished 10th, I think, that season. They did but... it to Liverpool as well. Didn't and they, they did famously. it to Liverpool as well. Um, you remember that? 27th of April, two thousand. No more and slips, team. lads.
0: No more slips. And
2: why'd you have to bring that up? No, because he, he's, he's getting revenge for me in mentioning the
3: 7-0. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. He's been waiting for that for about 40 minutes to do that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he's sitting there thinking so I'll get the Gerard slip in at some yeah, stage, yeah. Kiff. Don't worry yeah. about that. Um, look, I mean, they, they missed Saliba I think really badly they've conceded a lot of goals over the last few games but clearly it's not just about the defense because they're conceding so many shots their shot data is hauling it's gone from being six or seven a game to 15 16 a game and that you know doubling the amount of shots that they're they're conceding on a on on a game by game basis is always going to have a massive effect
0: yeah and I think that the the mental fatigue of trying to win a title for the first time in two decades has taken its toll as well, where that fearless and social youth was once to Arsenal's advantage. I think now they maybe could have done with a little bit more experience in their ranks, but take nothing away from Arsenal. They've had a fantastic season. You talk about none of us predicted Leicester would struggle at the start of the season. None of us predicted that Arsenal would be Manchester City's nearest challengers. No. I'm not sure any of us actually put Arsenal in the top four, to be honest. No, so I they've had a good season. Um I, I kinda hope from an Arsenal perspective they can get back to winning ways and prolong this title race a bit longer because I think it'd be a shame for all of us if it just became a, a procession for Manchester City. I think yeah. the Saliba um, thing's think... massive.
3: Sorry, I was just gonna say I think the Saliba thing, I know it shouldn't be about one player, but I think he's been one of the best centre backs in Europe this season. And I think to lose him. This is where their evolution in terms of the squad is nowhere near finished because you cannot have, and with all respect to Rob Holding, he's clearly, you know, relatively an amazing player, but you cannot have a drop-off like that from Saliba to Holding because what it does no, is it unravels Gabriel's
2: also been affected the whole by thing. as well. Yeah,
3: completely. Gabriel gets affected. The guys in front of them get affected because they start thinking, ah, have we got to cover this? Have we got to cover that? I think Partey's dropped off. So I think that's part really. of it as well. One so, thing he hasn't done is drop off. He keeps pushing so far oh, well, up the yeah, pitch. And, and you like, what
2: are you doing?
3: Yeah, and, and, no and Tommy Asu you to being that. out big as well, because he covers two yeah, positions. So, yeah. If he could cover yeah. right back, Ben White could come inside, you know, all that stuff. Excellent. So I think one big injury has actually unraveled the whole thing, to be honest. And that's yeah, what they've um, got to look at. So,
2: yeah, I mean, obviously Chelsea. Uh, their only motivation is to stop Arsenal winning the title. So maybe, maybe they'll they'll they'll, they'll, they'll turn up on a Tuesday night live on Talksport. A kickoff is at uh, eight o'clock. It's one of uh, four live commentaries uh, on the on Talksport. There's actually even more on Talksport too over the course of the next few days. Leicester, Everton, Monday night, Tuesday night, Arsenal, Chelsea, Wednesday night, Manchester City, West Ham, and Liverpool against Fulham, and Thursday night, Brighton against. Manchester United so a busy week of football very much looking forward to it Kev thank you very much thank you Enjoyed your company as always Crookie thank you very much for sitting on me will you please go home I was gonna say can I leave now can you leave now (laughs) crikey I've been trying to get rid of him for 10 days (laughs) Uh, (laughs) we'll see you uh, later on in the week when we'll uh, review all the week's action and look forward to a pivotal weekend in the uh, Premier League Because uh, things might be sorted. By the time we get together on Friday, I did think this when uh, we started last week's mental week and a half of football. By the time we get to Thursday, Friday morning, we'll have a lot clearer picture as to who's going to win the title, who's going to finish in the top four, and who's going down.